Good Sunday evening, Monstrashers. This is Gunnar Monson, along with my good friend and fellow Bigfoot researcher, Shane Corson. I am also the founder of the Sasquatch Coffee Company. Um, apparently, we're having uh, <laughs> apparently we were uh, having uh, some technical difficulties on the the uh, intro. Did not I did not hear it. Uh, thank you, Blog Talk Radio. And we uh, also had a um, when I tried to sign in, it it was telling me that that uh, there was an issue. But uh, we'll yeah, see if, yeah. So okay. So the I, I'm getting that the audio is is on now in the chat room. So uh, welcome again to uh, Monstrous Radio. This lovely Oregon Sunday in uh, on yeah. the Oregon coast. It's about 80 degrees here today. I I can't wait to see what the summer's going to bring. We've had uh, more 80 degree days already this year than. Uh, I think we had entire last year. So, um, yeah, yeah. How are you today, Shane? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, Gunner. Uh, enjoying the weather uh, out here in in uh, the Portland area, and uh, had a great day out uh, interviewing some witnesses. Well, tell us a little about that. Well, yeah, you know, so uh, I. One of our team members, uh, Jess from the Tillman Group, got a hold of me and, and uh, told me about some, uh, I mean, recent, as in last night, encounter. And I headed out to the uh, Tillman area and got a chance to meet up with the witnesses and uh, got to do a little, you know, some measurements, a little bit of recreation, got to hear what they saw. Two individuals, one adult male and one a juvenile, you know, a teenage kid, and they saw something across the road, uh, you know, one of the most common ways to apparently see a Sasquatch is to be on a road, especially a logging road, and see something cross the road. And uh, when they, when the uh, the teenager first saw it, it was crouched on the side of the embankment on, on the side of the road. There's embankments on both sides of this road, and there's a creek right there. And saw it crouched, stood up, um, crossed the road, and they both got a good look at it, you know, and dark colored, you know, they gave me some other details, but big, huge, tall, and when he had, you know, um, the, uh, the adult male eyewitness had, had uh, stopped his car, he got out with a flashlight real quick, and he said this thing was just about gone. He got a, one more glimpse of it uh, in this field, and it was gone. So very interesting encounter, uh, you know, giving the details. Uh, you know, he did see the face. He saw hair around the face, eyes. He didn't get a whole lot of detail, um, but there was enough detail there to make it a very interesting uh, and compelling uh, encounter especially from two eyewitnesses um, seeing two different things. You know, the adult never saw this thing crouching. That was the kid that saw this thing crouching, uh, and it stood up, and that's when Chris noticed it. You know, the eyewitness and adult saw it cross the road and head out, and uh, he's, uh, this guy's, you know, skeptical and all that and kind of blew his world. It shook him up. Uh, they were both a little shaken. <laughs> so it was a pretty, pretty interesting uh, day, uh, but a great day to be out, and, uh, you know, it's been hot last couple of days. Uh, if you're going to see a Sasquatch or any animals, I'd imagine great chances along waterways. And this was a really good waterway uh, for, and, you know, great place to, you know, sit down and re- enjoy and get a drink of water. So, it's a, Yeah, it's fascinating. And uh, another interesting aspect, I mean, this is in our research area, uh, the Tillamook yeah. Forest Research Group's area. And, and, um, 
very close to um, one of our team members had a sighting, a road crossing earlier this year. And, uh, I mean, almost within 100 yards, probably it sounds like, of, of uh, Easily within 100 yards. Signing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and probably less, and more like 75 yards. <laughs> and it, it goes right through this creek that runs along a hillside where where we've had, we've camped, we camp up on that hillside quite often and, uh, and have had weird things and vocalizations and knocking and, and we had that weird incident where we were, you know, we'd gone down and had dinner away from the, our campsite and uh, came back up and something had, you're, you're, you found your tent unzipped. It was really weird. I mean, that was yeah. one of the most bizarre um, things that I've ever Definitely. encountered. And and, yeah. and and that was the same weekend where we had heard wood knocks and, and weird vocalizations of the woods and stuff, so... Yeah, but yeah. so it's it's interesting because um, we've been doing this. You know, our our group has been uh, researching this area now for going on. Uh, I want to say t- this is the third year, or almost going on four years, I think. Almost going on and, four, uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, no visualizations the first, uh, but last uh, year and a half we've had. This would now be uh, the fourth. Uh, visual encounter. So um, I'm still waiting for mine. I, and that's not including some of the weird things that, that have been seen through thermal and, and night vision oh, yeah. And, yeah, and all the audio weird stuff that, that has gone on up there. Uh, tons of weird audio stuff. So um, it's interesting. And, and having another uh, visual encounter to me just fuels the fire getting back up there and, and spending more time and, and, uh, and, and of course, my brain always goes to what are where are they where are they headed from and where are they going? And that now that um, to have two uh, visual encounters so close together, uh, that just just piques my curiosity: is what the heck is going on up there that in that particular area? And yeah. I'm just going to go. I'm going to go camp on that road from now. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that eventually. I mean, what are the odds that they're they must be crossing there for a particular reason? So, very exactly. cool. Um, yeah, with we'll uh, we'll have more for that. Uh, I'd really like to sit down with the, the witnesses and and do a, a real thorough interview with them. So, so our guests today are um, Mike Woolley, that had an encounter back in 1981 and then has had subsequent encounters since. And uh, with Mike will be Debbie King McMartin, who is uh, has co-written and produced a movie based on Mike's original encounter called Scoop'em, The Hunt for Bigfoot. Um, I'm excited to to uh, talk to Mike. I've never I know that you've interviewed him before. Um, I've heard his encounter uh, on several occasions, but it's a really uh, intriguing encounter, and then his subsequent activity. Uh, welcome, Mike, and welcome, Debbie. How are you guys today? Great. Doing Thank good. Thank you so much. <laughs> you made me nervous there for a second because we've had a little blog talk uh, hiccup there, and I thought maybe for a minute we'd lost you. But welcome to Monster X Radio. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We're honored to be here. <laughs> well, first, I would like 
to, uh, for those that aren't familiar with your story, Mike, can you go ahead and recount uh, what your original encounter uh, was back in uh, 1981? Yes, yes. Uh, On a cold uh, December day back in 1981, uh, I went deer hunting, and it was a beautiful day, you know, sunshiny, no wind. Uh, it's perfect to go hunting, and uh, I had my deer stand down an old logging road that run about a mile in the woods and dead ended, and that's where I put my stand because I saw a lot of, you know, good activity in there, and I would park my truck about halfway uh, between the the road I turned in on and the road going down to the uh, deer stand because I didn't want to spook the deer. I would walk, you know, the rest of the way. And I always turned my truck around, you know, heading out in case of emergency. I had to get out of there real quick. But I got on my deer stand about 3 o'clock and uh, looked at my watch always to see what time it is. And I'm sitting there. And roughly 15, 20 minutes later, uh, I hear a rustling in the woods, uh, something you know, come running out to the east of me, and it was a little young doe deer. And she ran up to my deer stand and actually laid down and actually was touching my deer stand. And she was panting real hard, uh, uh, wet. Uh, yeah, I could tell she'd been run. Something had been running her, and I thought, you know, uh, it was a big buck. Uh, because the rut was on. And so, uh, as I was looking back up from looking down at her out of my peripheral vision, my deer stand's facing north about 12 o'clock position. Uh, I saw movement uh, about 2 o'clock, and this is about 15 yards from me, uh, you know, less than 50 feet. Uh, something got uh, run up and got behind a tree. And it didn't stay there 20, 15 seconds. By the time I got my eye on it, it hopped about 20 feet flat-footed to another tree uh, directly at 3 o'clock to my right uh, off my shoulder. And it was trying to hide itself uh, the best it could behind that tree. And it was a pretty good-sized tree, but this this creature was... uh, he was humongous. I mean, you know, uh, seven, eight foot tall, 500 pounds, you know, and, and, and really bowed up, uh, really big. And uh, he was peeking at me uh, from around that tree, but, you know, I could see most of him, and, and I didn't know what it was, you know. Uh, I didn't believe in Bigfoot back then, you know, never been in the woods all my life since I was four years old and uh, never saw nothing like that. But um, when he's hunting uh, free-range land, that means anybody could hunt on it. Uh, it was owned by some large timber companies, uh, Will Amet, all of them out in the Pacific Northwest owned the land. And back then, they didn't care if you hunted on it as long as you wouldn't damage anything, any trees or anything like that. So people would... Uh, uh, come into an area, look around and find your deer stand already there and they would want your spot and they would do everything they could do 
to try to run you out of there. I mean, leave nasty letters. I mean, tear your deer shed down, burn everything out. Uh, they were ruthless, you know, to, to get a place to hunt. So I'm thinking somebody's trying to, uh, you know, scare me off my deer stand. And uh, uh, he ain't got in a suit, but from where he come from, I tried before to go back there. And it was so many of those big thorn trees with five or six-inch thorns that would cut you like a knife. I couldn't go no further back. And it blew my mind that, that somebody could come through there, you know, so slick. Well, I'm sitting there looking at this thing, and, and he's looking at me, and uh, I just kind of holler out, you know, get out of here. Uh, uh, take that head off. You know, you're, you're not going to run me off my deer stand. I'm thinking it's somebody in the suit, you know. Well, I get to looking, and you know how the sun will shine down uh, through the trees, it was uh, hitting him on the shoulder and the side, and I thought, man, uh, it, it was shiny black. I'll never forget uh, how shiny uh, it was. Well, he kind of stood out a little bit uh, for the tree, and and when he did, uh, I could tell, you know, hey, this uh, this ain't no soup. This is this is something, you know. I'm I'm in a situation now. And uh, uh, he's looking at me, and uh, he started showing me his teeth. Uh, he would he'd click them uh, every now and then. And uh, I could tell he was really irritated because uh, he would look at that deer on the ground, and then he would look at me and, and just give me one of the god-awful uh, stares. Uh, I'll never forget the eyes. Uh, the eyes were, 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 were the meanest uh, you know, old said goes look kill. He did. Well, I, he killed me a thousand times. Uh, it was the most evil, god awful, or uh, staring and eyes I ever seen in my life. So, I mean, they were mean, and, and he was po'd. You know, so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, God, I, you know, uh, I'm hoping this thing will turn around and go back where he come, and uh, I'll go where you know hit my truck. I didn't want trouble. Well, it went on. And I got real nervous. I got real scared. Uh, the old, old saying goes, my knees are knocking and, and teeth rattling. And uh, he's looking at me. And uh, he's getting, he's starting to get real uh, 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 froggy, as I call it. You know, he, he's going side to side and up and down a little bit. And uh, he's, he's really mad. And so my throat got real dry. I got real nauseated, and uh, um, my head was just just swimming. It was kind of like in one of those time tunnels, you know. You're you're in it, and everything just stands still around you, and you're just confused, you know. And uh, my legs, my body just felt like I was just frozen to that stand. I couldn't move. So, you know, I'm thinking. You know, I got to do something one way or another, and uh, uh, you know, uh, I thought that might have been a feral human because I'd done some reading on that stuff. It hadn't been a month before, and I'm thinking, you know, if I shoot this thing and it's just human, uh, I'm in trouble. You know, I got to live with that. So I take my rifle and 
Uh, he had me so scared that uh, he let me know point blank that he wasn't afraid of that gun. I mean, it was like, if you want to use it, use it, and then I'm going to do what i got to do. And I was actually afraid to shoot him because I thought I'd make him mad. Anyway, I pointed my rifle at him and looked through the crosshair at him, and, boy, I could tell. I mean, that wasn't no human, you know. And uh, he let out a, a, a roar. Uh, he got mad when I pointed the gun. He let a roar out. It was like getting hit by a 70-mile-per-hour wind like an African lion. I've never heard none of that loud. And uh, he started beating on the tree with the sides of his fist. I knew right then. I said, I'm in trouble, you know. So I jumped down off the stand quick as I could. I started running to the uh, the west back to my truck, which was a half a mile away. And uh, uh, yeah, my legs felt like they weighed a ton apiece, you know. So I look over to the, my left, and he's flanking me. He's running beside me, but he's running in the woods, uh, and, and he's running through trees. I mean, he's just knocking them out of the way, big trees. He's running through thorn trees like they're nothing. He's tearing this stuff apart. And I'm thinking, oh, God, man, he, I'm dead. You know, I'm dead. Uh, I thought about my family. My son was little. I thought about him. You know, all kind of stuff goes through your head when you're in a deadly situation, you know. So we're running along, and uh, 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 well, what happened, I left out of something. Uh, when he growled at me, uh, a whistle uh, come back uh, from the northeast, maybe 100 yards. And he looked over there and whistled back, and I've heard that whistle a thousand times in the woods. I thought it was a bird. It was a real shrill whistle. And when he whistled back, whatever it was at that time, I heard it walking. It was bipedal. And I thought, oh, no, you know, here we go. So that's when I hit I hit the ground. And um, when I was coming up to my truck, I thought, you know, he's right here on top of me. You know, he's he's about, I don't know, 50, 60 feet away from me. And he'll grab me when I stick my key in and unlock the truck. So when I got to the tailgate, uh, to that little bitty clearing, you know, where they had loaded the logs, uh, you know, 20 years ago, uh, he come up to that clearing. And before he stepped out, I took my gun, and and from the hip, I just fired a, a shot just to try to buy me some time to get the truck. And um, the bullet hit an old dead pine tree about seven foot up from his head, about three foot from his head. It blew dust and bark everywhere. It had to get on him. I got in my truck, and as I was driving off, he come running up at the truck, you know, like he wanted to try to, you know, grab a tailgate or something. And uh, I looked my rearview mirror, and that other one that was behind me on the road, he come running up. So uh, that really, uh, it did a job on me. Uh, you know, I was in pretty serious depression for a long time, and uh, because I didn't know, you know, why me, but uh, uh, that was a pretty rough day. I'd say, <laughs> I'd say a very, uh, very rough day, uh, Mike. You know, uh, you know. So, 
here you you're, you've been hunting for years and years and years before this encounter, and uh, you know I, you know I, I've talked to a lot of hunters, um, hikers, fishermen. You know I, I've been out I've been hunting this area for 30, 40 years, 10 years, 12 years, whatever. Never seen anything, and then bam, bam, one day they see something, and it just rocks their world. I mean, just literally rocks their world. And you fall into that category where, you know, beforehand, you probably would have laughed, scoffed at it, uh, didn't give it much thought. But here we are uh, that day, you know, things changed. Uh, how did how how did that affect your – I mean, did you go back out hunting after that anytime soon? Did you not? Uh, did you uh, talk to anybody about this uh, sighting? Well, you know, I lived in a small town, and uh, I was afraid to talk to anybody because the, the guys I worked with, they were raggers, you know, and they had ragged me out so I had to quit. So I just kept it in. I wouldn't say nothing. And um, I went over to a friend of mine, a mentor, two weeks later, and he lived across the street from where that happened, about two miles I asked him, I said, will you go back in there and get my deer stand? It's a, it was a pipe made out of pipe. It was a ladder type. You lean it up against a tree, but it was oil field pipe, probably about 250. A real strong pipe they drill with. And he said, uh, well, you can back your truck up and load it up yourself. What's the big deal? I said, well, I didn't want to go back there. And I wasn't about to tell him what happened, you know. So we go back there and drive back there in a truck. And that deer stand is wrapped around that tree like a vine. And and he he looks at it. He says, Mike, who did you uh, pee off? I said, I don't know. And he said, you can't get a truck in there to pull it around. You can't get a four-wheeler. A four-wheeler wouldn't pull it around because there's trees, you know, seven, eight foot from it. And he said, this thing's right. And he says, oil field pipe. He said, it'd take a tornado. I'm fine to do that. And so... We left, you know, and uh, he told me, he said, I believe I'll stay out from back there. I said, I'm not going back, you know. So, uh, you know, uh, that that really affected my hunting because I used to go in the woods at 5 in the morning, and I'd sit there and wait for daylight. You know, I loved sitting in the dark waiting on daylight. You know, you could hear all the animals, the birds, the smell of the woods. And but from then on out, I'd go about eight o'clock in the morning, uh, three 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 thirty in the evening. I'd leave, and it, it took me a month to go back in the woods. I wouldn't go back, and I lived in the woods. I mean, uh, when it wasn't hunting season, I was in the woods checking for deer, uh, checking my deer stands. You know, turkey hunting, bird hunting, anything. You know, I don't stay in the woods. But uh, after that happened, uh, I just couldn't. Uh, enjoy myself no more. The, the woods weren't fun no more, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I find it crazy. You know, at the time, you're trying, as this thing's going on, this encounter's going on, you know, uh, things are going to be wrapped around your mind. You're trying to figure out what's going on, what are you looking at, what are you seeing, what are you hearing. You know, to think that somebody that would maybe watch out of that area to dress up in a Sasquatch, you know, in a you know bear outfit or a Sasquatch outfit, well, it doesn't even matter. That'd be almost crazy uh, knowing that, it's hunting season. People are out hunting, uh, but uh, it's one of those things I, I, I would imagine uh, most people would try to rationalize in their head with is is someone dressing? Is this a is this a trick? You know, and then slowly you come to the realization uh, <laughs> that it's not. <laughs> well, well, 
the funniest thing uh, while this ordeal was breaking down, uh, there was a voice uh, like in my head, and it said, uh, "Is a is there a circus in town? Uh, no. Do a grill escape somewhere? No." Uh, there were just questions, and it was just uh, uh, answering quick, you know. And when all right, when the question stopped, you know, the voices stopped. I mean, I knew right then. I said, "Hey, uh, this is a real deal, you know. Yeah. Uh, I've got uh, I've got tangled up with something that uh, is a whole hell of a lot uh, bigger and stronger and meaner than me, you know." And uh, I just didn't know, uh, you know, never seen nothing like that, really, you know. Yeah. Uh, been in the woods all my life, you know. Uh, yeah. We had, weird, we had weird stuff happen, you know, like uh, I had stuff thrown at me, and I said, oh, I had stuff falling out of trees, you know. I had something following me, you know. Uh, I've been followed before. I'd take four steps, it'd take four steps. I'd take five steps, it'd take five steps. I'd look, look, look. Couldn't see it. Uh, one day it happened. I got down on my stomach. I laid my gun down and laid down on the ground. And I said, "I'll see your feet." You know, I was looking under, you know, about a foot and a half uh, above the, the, the bottom, the ground. Still couldn't see it. So stuff was happening back then, but I had no idea. I hadn't seen one. You know, I didn't know what was doing it. But now I know. Yeah, you kind of put the the pieces together there during your. Uh... During your during this this day uh, back in 1981 during this encounter in December, was there anything abnormal that day? I mean, what, what was the animal life if you can remember uh, and noises uh, before, during, and after? I mean, during would probably be a hard thing to think about, but maybe before and after. I mean, was it an ordinary day, uh, or was there anything different that stuck out or sticks out to you now? Well, it was a beautiful day, but it was dead uh, quiet back there. Uh, there wasn't nothing moving, uh, uh, no birds uh, chirping, no squirrels moving. I mean, it was dead, you know. Uh, I just didn't, uh, uh, you know, I went back there one day and went hunting, and uh, well, I got back there, there was a horrible smell. I mean, God, it was horrible. And the first thing that hit my mind was somebody hunted on my deer stand and killed a deer, and field-dressed it, you know, right here at my deer stand. They're bad about that, you know, trying to leave you, hey, I got, I got on your deer stand, I killed your deer, now here's the guts. You know, it's kind of a slap in the face. Yeah. And I made my mind up. I said, I'm going to find that gut pile. So I just started circling, you know, and, and making a little bit longer, wider circle around my stand, you know, about a couple hundred yards. I didn't find no gut pile. And so I looked up to see where the buzzards were, and there wasn't no buzzards, you know. So uh, that really uh, was weird to me, you know. Uh, and, and, you know, that kind of got me thinking. Yeah, got what's going on here. You you know, one of the, I want to actually get to uh, a little bit better description of what you saw, but one of the things, uh, listening to you speak right now, you, you mentioned that uh, this thing was uh, beating the trees the tree or a tree with the side of its fist. Can you describe mm-hmm. what the noise sounded like from that? And and it, I mean, how was it beating it sideways? with the hands above its head? Yeah. Uh, was yeah. there any yeah. was there any noise uh, coming off of yeah. that tree? Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, you know, a boxer uh, hits straight. You know how a boxer hits. 
Yeah. Well, he took both his fists and turned them in sideways. It was beating the tree on the sides of the tree. He wasn't hitting it directly. He was beating it on the sides. Uh, and he was kind of, you know, swaying, you know, back and forth. Uh, I mean, he he was hostile. And uh, that's that's what really uh, put the fear in me real bad. I mean, it's, that's what really tore me up. Yeah. Uh, I could hear it smacking, you know, as a big uh, oak, one of those black oaks. And uh, uh, he was mad. Uh, this thing was mad. I mean, more he, uh, uh, you know, I don't care what people say. People say, oh, they were warning you. They were trying to run you out of the area. That's a bunch of BS. Uh, uh, this thing, he wanted to kill me. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, if I wouldn't have had that rifle, uh, a lot of times uh, when it went hunting season, I would go get on my deer stand. I wouldn't take a gun because it was, you know, illegal. And I just sat there and I'd watch and see if the deer where they were moving. And uh, that kind of gave me an idea of where to, uh, if I needed to move a stand or add a stand. But uh, if it had been one of them days, I'd have been sitting on there without a rifle. I'd been dead. He'd ripped me to pieces. Yeah, I could, I could see. Uh, uh... Yeah, you're pretty adamant about uh, what was transpiring that day and what was going to go down, possibly. <laughs> you know, the whistle you mentioned earlier I, uh, is very very intriguing to me because uh, I've heard whistles uh, that I, I associate possibly, and I say possibly with Sasquatch, and um, and I've taken a lot of reports where someone has seen a Sasquatch and heard a whistle or, or just heard some odd whistles and things have happened. This whistle that you heard... You know, what was what was your impression of this whistle? And and just you know, hypothetically speaking, was there a purpose behind it? Do you think possibly it was trying to communicate with something, or, or if, if yes. it was indeed the Sasquatch doing it? Yeah, I think it was a communication. Uh, when he growled at me and roared at me, or uh, the other one, uh, which was with him uh, about a hundred yards uh, away from him, he heard the growl, and I'm I think he whistled to him to ask him, you know, are you okay, or something like that. It was kind of an alert, and he turned his head uh, to that way, that north, and whistled back, and it was a loud whistle. It was a shrill whistle. Uh, I've heard it in the woods a bunch of times. And then the, uh, the other one, he started moving. He started walking that way. He was coming that way, and then that's what, that was the deciding factor. I knew if I let the other one, you know, team up with him, that they would overrun me. You know, I might could shoot one of them, but I couldn't get the other one. And so I, I said, I better get out of here before he gets here. So that's when I took off. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, those so Mike, I, I find intriguing. Uh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. No, that was me, Gunner. But uh, so, Mike, to, to get the, the visual, this you're sitting up in the tree stand up in the tree. Fifteen um, mm-hmm. feet up in the air when this all takes place, or all during the entire encounter, until you decided to, you better get down and, and run like hell. But uh, so you're sitting up there and you see first see this deer approach. Did you see the um, the Bigfoot actually leave the ground, jump this this distance? Did you see it before I it actually did. landed behind the tree? I did. So, you uh, you... He, he was a two o'clock position, and mm-hmm. uh, he hopped from that tree 
at least 15 to 20 feet to another tree. It was unbelievable. I mean, you would have to see this to believe it. I couldn't oh, I, believe I, 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 I couldn't. No, I can imagine. Go ahead. Uh, it's it's unreal. Uh, you know how a uh, a runner or a sprinter will kind of lay down and stretch out and then take off and run? He didn't do that. I mean, he was standing there, and he just flat-footed, hopped over to that tree. That blew my mind. I never, I mean, you have to see it to believe it. It's unbelievable. So at some point, he, he he's looking at you, looking at him, and you look at him through your, you raise your rifle and look through your scope. And at, is that, I mean, up till then, you were your brain is going a million miles an hour trying to figure out what the heck you're looking at. Uh, and that, when you Correct. saw it through the scope is when you said, oh, and and did you go? Did you immediately think this when you saw it through the scope that it was a uh, a Bigfoot? Well, I didn't know what what it was. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. I really hadn't heard nothing about Bigfoot. But when I looked through that scope and I saw his face, it was like it was in nose to nose. I could see his eyelashes. Uh, I could see the steam. Uh, you know, on a cold day when you bleed out, mm-hmm. how the the moisture comes out of your mouth. Uh, I could see that, uh, everything, his face. Uh, I mean, I knew right then. Uh, and I didn't get to look about three, four seconds before he roared at me. He got mad because I pointed that gun at him. And mm-hmm. uh, I knew right then I was in trouble. And you, I mean, you felt imminently threatened at that point because he was demonstrating uh, uh You know, Everybody everybody goes through times in their life they get scared. But I've never been that's that's the worst I've ever been scared man. I was I was breaking down. I thought I was gonna have a nervous breakdown. I was so scared that I was shaking so bad and and nauseated, my throat was dry, I was clammy, it was a cold day, I'm clammy. And I thought I was gonna have a nervous breakdown. I mean it's scared I was so scared, I've never in my life been that scared. And you know, I've and hunted, it, man, I've I've been in the boondocks. I mean, you name it, I've done it. And uh, I mean, he uh, he he made me feel like a little boy. Well, and that the uh, having a rifle doesn't necessarily. I've heard that many times in talking to witnesses. Like it didn't it didn't seem big enough. It wasn't big enough for the job. And like you said, it was. You thought it was just going to make him. You know, if I hit it, it's just going to make it mad. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that, that's what went through my head. I mean, I, the rifle did not intimidate him a bit. Uh, I just kept praying that he would turn and go back, and I would leave peacefully, but uh, that didn't happen. And uh, I was afraid to shoot the thing because I just wanted this to end peacefully. You know, I just wanted to get out of there and get to my truck and get out. I did not want no trouble, you know, out of him. Uh, but uh, he's chose to uh, engage me, and uh, <laughs> uh, to say the least, yes. So you ran. I mean, you said you were parked about half a mile. So you ran that. I mean, that must have seemed like the longest half mile uh, you'd ever experienced. Uh, it, it felt like I was, you know, twenty six years old, uh, pretty light. And it worked out in the weather hard every day, you know, and I, I was pretty good pretty good shape. 
And uh, I felt like uh, I was running maybe a mile an hour. I was giving it all I could. And it felt like my legs was just weighted by a thousand pounds a piece. I couldn't move. But uh, uh, it was kind of like some of it was kind of like slow motion. I mean, when I was really, really scared and nauseated, uh, it was like time was just, uh, uh, it was like being in a, uh, another world. I mean, uh, I, I don't know what happened. I can't explain it, but it was weird. Well, that's that condition where when somebody is under uh, stress that things do actually appear to slow down. I mean, it happens in car accidents, and uh, this certainly would uh, qualify for a high-stress situation. Um, so you you made a decision at some point that your best chance of survival was to, to fire a warning shot. Correct. Somewhere in that... And and so you spun and shot and nearly hit hit the the one that you knew was following you. And Correct, almost. Uh, I mean, it was about a seven foot shot. It hit the back of a tree. Uh, his head was about three feet from it, and uh, if it had been another second or two, I probably caught him in the head. So what? I mean, after you survived the the incident, uh, did it? Did it occur to you later that uh, what were your feelings about it later? Did you? To me, it seems like if they their physicality, if something can jump twenty feet, that if it wants to catch you and and kill you, that that it certainly has the the option to do that. Did you realize later that maybe they just wanted you out of that area, or what was your when you had a chance to to process it later? Well. I thought my life was on the line. Uh, you know, what I saw and, and went through, uh, all I, I had in my mind was uh, I was fixed to die. Uh, I felt like the creature wanted me dead. You know, he tried to get, he tried to grab the tailgate of my truck, missed it by a foot. So why did he want to do that? Pull, why did he want to try to get you were pulling truck? away? So as, as you're pulling away, away, it's reaching for your truck. Yeah. <laughs> So where was the second one at that at that point? You had the you had uh, he point. was he was coming up he was coming up the road and uh mm-hmm. he was standing uh directly behind uh the other one that that uh, chased me out. And that, that I mean, on your way back to your, your truck, you're thinking you seeing one pursuing uh-huh. you through the woods. And what went uh-huh. through your mind when you turned around and there was two of them? So I just, uh, I mean, it just, uh, it was devastating. Uh, yeah. Uh, as I was running, I wasn't thinking about the second one. I was thinking about the one that was the the, the original one that I got into it with. Uh, I was, I, I, my mind was uh, on him. Uh, as I was running, I was trying to run and look ahead, but I was also trying to watch him to see if he was going to make a move. And so... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you've got something chasing you like that, uh, yeah. you know, you're not going to be thinking, oh, he's trying to just run me out of the woods, you know. <laughs> right. You're not going to be thinking that. You're going to be thinking, hey, this thing trying to kill me. Why is he running? It's, it's fight or flight. Right. Your fight or flight kicks in, and you're, you uh, you made the option to flight, which I think sounds like a good option. But, I mean, after, after the incident was over with and you got back home and you had time to think about it and process it, did did it occur to you that that if they had what 
one or both of them had wanted to to catch you, um, that they they certainly could have. So they they allowed you to to escape. Yeah. Well, yeah. I had a lot of uh, uh, for for a month there. I had a lot of different uh, emotions go through through me. Uh, I took all the blinds and curtains in the house and I shut them because at nighttime. Mm. I I couldn't sit in the house because I thought that, you know, maybe one of them could be looking at me. Uh, I wouldn't go out at night. Uh, I was in a deep depression. I went in a real deep depression, and uh, I felt like it was an omen sent down on me for some reason that uh, a message was sent to me. And that really, uh, it, it eat on me real bad, you know. And I kept thinking, why me? Why did this have to happen to me? Because nobody else has said nothing. Well, back then, you know, you didn't have cell phones. Uh, you didn't have uh, the computers. Uh, was real mm-hmm. young, you know. Uh, you didn't have Facebook. You really didn't have no way to communicate, to get any information. So, you right. know. I didn't know, but I was in a bad depression. I mean, uh, I would get to thinking about it, man. I'd just break down and start shaking. I, I mean, there was times I even cried. I had tears in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it really, it, it threw me in a, a depression for a long time. Well, I hate to, you know, I hate to throw you back there, but uh, <laughs> can you describe this thing a little bit more? I mean, was it built for the terrain that was out there, in your opinion? I mean, did it look like something that belonged out there and, can, can you just give a, a description of what you saw from top to bottom, uh, the face, the, the hair, the, you know, I mean, was this thing built to be out there in your opinion? Did it look like it belonged there? Well, it was in some really tight woods. Uh, you know, like I said, it was between seven, eight foot tall. Uh, I'd say between 450, 500 pounds. Uh, it had humongous, uh, pectoral muscles, uh, a flat stomach, looked like a bodybuilder, uh, big arms. I'll never forget how arms, the shoulders were awesome. They were three, three and a half foot across, uh, humongous head. Uh, I mean, uh, he was, he, yeah, uh, big, uh, you know, very, you could tell, uh, you know, I always thought the white-tailed deer was the king, but shoot, after this, I know who the king is now, you know. Or the woods, but uh, yeah, uh, I, you know you could tell that uh, uh, he could just about uh, live anywhere he wanted to, uh, do what he wanted to. Uh, awesome creature. Yeah, with the uh, did you ha- you mentioned the teeth? Can you describe the teeth and the face a little bit? Did you happen to see the the nose? I mean, what kind of nose it had, and uh, anything about its eyes, or any any of the facial features? But you know, the teeth and nose are was one of the questions in our chat room, but something that actually I really I'm always really interested in. Well, it didn't have a lot of hair on its face. Uh, uh, the hair was long going down the back, you know, his head. Uh, he had a a long bridge nose uh and the nostrils kind of flared out the bottom uh his teeth were were big teeth uh flat flat looking teeth uh it was really weird he would show me 
his teeth and kind of bite down together and show me his teeth. And I'm like, you know, what's this? And then he would start clicking them. You know, he'd click his teeth at me. Uh, and, and, and there was a low growl uh, uh, most of the time. But um, uh, to me, uh, it looked so, the face, the features on the face were so much human looking. Uh, that's what blew my mind. Here's something is walking uh, bipedal, like we do, uh, and the, the face uh, is so human looking, you know, and hands, uh, the hands were, were a lot larger than a, a baseball uh, mitt. Uh, and, and that's what blew me. I thought it was some kind of wild human. I mean, I know that sounds stupid, but uh, I just couldn't put nothing else together because I never heard of this. Yeah. How did how uh, you've been asked this probably a million times, but how did um, Patty, you know, with the Patterson Gimlin film from 1967, how did how did that compare to what you saw? Was it similar? Uh, and if so, anything else out there? Say, you know, um, the Blue Mountains footage of a Sasquatch that was possibly filmed out there. I mean, any anything else, any other videos, anything that, that kind of matched up to what you saw? Well, you know, comparing it to the Patty uh, uh, creature, uh, basically, uh, I'd say they were about the same, you know, creature. Uh, you're looking at a female with Patty, and this is a male I, I saw. Uh, you know, Patty looked like she was kind of a little over, you know, uh, slumpy, you know, kind of. Chunky, you know, a female, and I'm not talking about women, but uh, uh, this creature that I encountered, you know, basically was the same color, uh, probably the same height. I don't know how tall she was, but uh, yeah, uh, they could have been passed for brother and sister. Wow, very interesting, you know, and subsequently, Mike. you know, many years have passed since that that day. Have have there been other um, reports, or have you learned of other reports, or specifically, have you learned of reports during that time frame that you had your your initial encounter? But if not, uh, you know, have there been uh, other reports uh, in the past or uh, recently from that area? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I've uh, went out with a friend uh, some places. Uh, he has and seen some uh, uh, creatures. Uh, behind this lady's house. Uh, matter of fact, I've seen about four over there, and they're different. Uh, this this creature is a taller, it's a real tall creature, but it's slender, uh, three toes, uh, and it has a monkey face. Uh, and uh, I don't know what type, you know, Bigfoot this is. It's weird, but uh, yeah, I've I've seen those creatures. Yeah, so it seems like there's there's been um, a history possibly of reports or activity in this area, and I mean, is this an area that you still frequent or, or go back to? No, no, I don't, no. I don't. I moved, uh, I moved from there. Uh, I moved about an hour and a half north from there now. I don't live down in that area anymore. Uh, I don't hunt. I quit hunting uh, because. Uh, I couldn't enjoy it no more uh, because I couldn't go in early and leave late in the woods. 
uh, I'd be on the deer stand, and a squirrel would move or jump, I'd almost go nuts. So uh, I caught myself looking for them more than looking for deer. And so I just quit. I just hung it up. It just wasn't enjoyable anymore. That's quite the uh, life transformation. Uh, I, you know, I've 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 had my own in- encounter. I wasn't hunting, uh, but uh, you know, it, it's funny how how every encounter uh, affects somebody a little bit differently. You know, some people won't go back in the woods. Some people run back to the woods. Others, you know, it's just it just it's it's very it's. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's one of the interesting things when I interview someone. I always um, I want to know how they feel, what and how it's changed them. You know, uh, and for some only a little bit. It, of course, it always depends on the encounter uh, as well. You know, and it sounds like uh, you've moved on somewhat. I mean, this isn't like uh, I mean, it doesn't keep you up at night, does it? You kind of moved on, and, and uh, you still go out to the woods, and and uh, you got other endeavors. But you know, the hunting aspect, you just it, you've lost your passion for it because your mind was somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Well, I still have. There's times I have some pretty bad dreams. Uh, I have some nightmares, and my wife says, "You know, uh, I'm fighting, and uh, and I've hit her two or three times, pretty bad." Uh, so I have to be kind of, you know. But there's times that everything's cool, you know. But uh, uh, I've got a big respect now for the woods, and uh, I really watch uh, my moves. Mike, a question from the chat room real quick. Uh, what was your impression in the terms of the creature's level of intelligence? Was it more, you think it was a dumb ape or that it was more intelligent than an animal? No, I, th- I thought it was very intelligent. Uh, I didn't look at it as no dumb ape. Uh, not what I just seen, you know, uh, in the, the intent in his eyes. Uh, you know, the, the the build of the creature was, was very intimidating and very scary. But his eyes, uh, the evilness, the way he was looking at me, uh, it was like looking at Satan in the eyes. I've never in my life been intimidated that bad. Uh, yeah, this, this, this creature, uh, uh, he was highly intelligent. Thank you. Well, I'd like to also with us today is Debbie King McMartin. Hi, Debbie, are you still there? I'm still here. I'm enjoying <laughs> the story all over again. I know. So, so tell us a little bit about how did the uh, it you you get involved with Mike and and making uh, a movie about his encounter. Well, my story goes way back. Um, I am a independent filmmaker, and I got into film industry via the writing aspect. I had written a couple of books, uh, romance novels, and then I had a story, a true story, grab me by the neck, and I could not sleep until I wrote this story. And it was the true story of the only woman ever executed in the electric chair, Tony Jo Henry. And it's like I couldn't sleep till I wrote it. So everything else went aside. I wrote it, uh, and I got somebody to come on with me to help me research and co, uh, co-write the script, Lynn Morgan. And we ended up um, actually selling that script to a production company, and it was produced as The Pardon. And uh, it was a $5 million project, and, and uh, it's 
uh, on Netflix now, and it's out everywhere. And we were very proud of the project. And then I, I um, decided to make a documentary film about the oil and gas industry in Louisiana. So, and I decided to produce it myself, not just be involved in the writing aspect, but actually uh, become the producer. Because I had gotten um, just a, just sort of um, addicted to the film industry as far as the creative aspect and seeing these stories come to life in video. And I thought, well, what a great combination with writing and video. So we uh, we produced a documentary film, and it, it was a local documentary, but with with widespread interest. And we won a um, international award for that uh, for for best um, short documentary film because it was under an hour. And then um, then we moved on. I just had this inclination to, you know, accept the next level of challenge, which, which was to produce, to write and produce a feature film. And uh, in researching that, I found that at that time, horror films were the best international selling films. And I, I've never been into the slasher Never wanted to do one. Still don't want to do one. The only horror film, sci-fi type project that interested me was Bigfoot. Just because I have always had, since watching The Legend of Boggy Creek, the cult classic, I um, was always interested and fascinated with Bigfoot and the, the whole idea of it. But didn't know much about it. But I would drive, I drove from a small town in North Louisiana to Texarkana, Texas. I worked for a law firm at that time. And every morning I drove through Falk, Arkansas, where The Legend of Boggy Creek was filmed. And I, it just kind of started growing in me and the idea of doing this. And my friend Arlena Akery, who was the head of the Shreveport Film Commission, um, I sat down and talked to her one day at a meeting, and I said, I really want to do this Bigfoot movie. I know you probably just think, you know, I'm crazy, but I want to do a movie about Bigfoot. And so she had met Mike Woolley, and Mike Woolley had helped her help some film producers from uh, Los Angeles scout some locations in and around uh, the area where he lives. And he, Mike had shared his story with her, and she was absolutely fascinated with it. And she you know, found it so believable and incredible, just just very incredible story. And she really liked Mike, so she uh, gave me his contact information, and I called him. And when he told me his story, the same one that he just told you and your audience, I was riveted, and I thought, this man, I want to center our whole film project around because, around his experience because of his authenticity and his believability. I believed every word that came out of his mouth when I met him. I knew there was no artifice about him. He was very real. This man could not tell a lie if he wanted to. He was just a good old boy from North Louisiana, and I say that in a good way because that's the best kind of people that I've ever met on the planet. He appreciates nature. You know, he lives through the woods, and he had this experience and it was not just the experience that I was fascinated with, but the fact that he held it inside of himself for so long because of the fear of ridicule. He obviously went through what I say. I'm mean, having a master's in psychology, so this is, you know, just kind of, it just immediately I knew this man had gone through this 
traumatic experience, incredible experience a lot of people would love to have, but at the same time, until you go through it, you don't understand how traumatic it can be to your whole psyche and you're seeing something that, you know, that is an unidentified creature and you're all alone in it. And he, it was obvious he was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms. And when a lot, you know, many people or most people who experience that in combat or with abusive relationships, domestic violence, they have groups, they have therapeutic group therapy that they can go to to connect with others as part of their healing. Mike had nothing. He had nobody yeah, he could talk to that would, that would, you know, identify with what he experienced and he felt so alone and, I wanted to bring that to the movie, that that whole feel and that whole authentic, you know, uh, whole idea of it to the movie. And so that's what our goal was, and that's what our goal has been over the last six years as we started writing the script and went through multiple drafts and raised the money for the film, which was, a drama in itself that was more dramatic than actually making the film and then and then the production itself and then post production you know it's been one obstacle and trauma after the other but we're finally just almost here and we're thrilled at the at the product and i think that ultimately the audience is going to cast their vote that you know that they'll be able to feel it and see it and um, that that's my wish, that's my hope, and that's why we've taken so long for this you know, to get where we want it to be because we want it to, to be right. It, it just has to hit the mark, and that includes the uh, the inspiration of what Mike originally brought into the project. So, De- Debbie, the, the movie itself, so when did you initially start um, this project? Because it's... I remember reading about this quite a while ago, and then it kind of, I think it it was shelved for a little bit, and, and now it's its its getting close to being completed. I mean, I'm, I imagine it's its a challenge to get any movie made, getting a oh, uh, yeah. a, a Bigfoot movie that is, is, I mean, is this a, um, not to give away too much of the, the movie, I mean, there's no slashing going on in in Mike's encounter. No. So, um, I mean, it's, it's a terrifying encounter in itself, just, just the way it is. Um, what, how did you uh, expand his encounter into an entire movie? Well, we obviously had, we could not base the movie solely on his encounter because the story had to be broadened beyond that. Um, right. To, to, you know, be true to, what a narrative uh, feature film would be. So Mike's story was the nucleus, and that's where we started. But in reality, we expanded it out and fictionalized, you know, different aspects of the story, but tried to stay true to his original experience and keeping that in mind. But we also had to stay true to... um, a, you know, a narrative, um, a feature film, um, fictionalized project 
that would be true to story, that would go with a full story arc, including Mike's character going through an arc. And um, we may, Mike sort of became reclusive during his 20 years, in a sense. And we made Mike's character in the movie, who is Mike Woolley. Even though Mike Woolley in the movie is, you know, just a shade or two different from the Mike Woolley in real life, but close enough where I think the audience will be able to identify his terror, you know, his uh, trauma that he went through, and his feeling of isolation and loneliness. We brought all that into the film through writing his character as a recluse in a cabin in the woods. He would just prefer to live by himself and play chess, you know, uh, with his himself as the opponent and sort of live in his um, obsession with these memories of Bigfoot. So that's, that's where we went with it, but we also expanded the story to include other characters, which we later identified, and we didn't realize it when we were writing the story, but it's basically Star Wars in the woods. I mean, as far as our, our characters are concerned. So, and I think that our audience maybe you know will be able to see that when they um, when they see the movie. Fantastic, fantastic, we, Julie. You've been, or uh, excuse me, Debbie. You've been uh, you, you've been involved with many projects. How did this particular project was this more challenging than many of the other projects uh, that you've partaken in, in movies and whatnot? Or you know, what, I mean, how was this different? Oh, well, number one, serving as producer of a feature film, and it doesn't matter what budget it is, when you take on a feature film, it is like, well, this is the analogy that I like to use. It's like we live near Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana. It's like there are B-52s that take off every day. And to me, I likened it making this uh, project from the very beginning, which was back in 2010 when we started it, to uh, pushing a B-52 down the runway with both hands to get it airborne. That's how difficult this was. And it would have been so easy just to bail out at you know, any given moment because we had so many obstacles. But I was committed to this project, and I was committed to Mike because he put his everything on the line for this. So it wasn't just about me. This was about everybody. And there were times when I wanted to bet, and Mike pulled me up out of the quagmire and said, wait a minute, we can do this. He had to pull me back out of the muck because I was thinking, I'm overwhelmed. This is way more than I ever signed on for. I just don't know. But we prevailed and we overcame because we believed in the story which is more than the fact the story is so much bigger and I don't even know how big it is I just know I feel this mm-hmm. and my god the story is bigger the the story becomes more real than the, than anything more than the inspiration the, the the story that inspired the true story that inspired it more real than all the players involved more real than the characters it just it takes on a life of its own, and you become committed to that because you feel like this is more than me. 
This is just supposed to be done. And it's about man, you know, man and nature. It's about what is the most dangerous creature known to man. Is it the monster or is it man? Okay, so back and forth. There's all all these story questions that enter into it. And then there's also how it's presented because we've learned so much in the process You go out and you take raw footage based on the script when you are producing a film, whether it's a $60,000 film, a million-dollar film, or a $60 million film. You take it out in the field, and you you shoot raw video. And you come back to the editing booth, and the real story happens in the editing booth, which for us, the process has been three years. We didn't think it would take that long because we hadn't made a feature film before on with zero post-production budget. But somehow, by the grace of God, yeah. you know, and lots of people that believed in this project, it got done. And it is yeah. just within a, a week or two of being having it little final touches put on there. And, and it's amazing what can happen when you keep the persistence, perspicacity, when you keep on with with this belief, we're going to get there, and it's going to be incredible. Um, you yeah. get you you just keep going till you know it's there. You know you have hit the mark, and yeah. that's you know, been our goal. We want to get there. It might take five years. We thought it might take seven. So we're not putting it out there in totality beyond the test audience until we know it's hit the mark. And I know instinctively we're just, you know, just a shade of being there. Uh, And you know what? (laughs) I was living on every word you said there because, um, first of all, it sounds like it's going to be a really uh, awesome, compelling, interesting movie. But your description of this movie and what it it took to get done with this movie and – uh, just the sheer mountains you had to climb over, but perseverance brought you through uh, to to this movie. Actually, it's going to happen now. It's going to come come to uh, yeah. fruition. Well, it reminds me so much of um, Bigfoot research. Some of the stuff that I'm doing. Some of the people I know out there. It's uh, it's not always glorious. It, sometimes you want to give up. Sometimes you know, but you, you persevere and you continue, 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 mm-hmm. and. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, uh, you know, there's that silver lining. Uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel, and you just piece by piece, you get your answers and you get to where you're going. And then, you know, and I just, I was loving. It just reminded me of the parallels <laughs> were striking. But you know, yeah. <laughs> so no, well, well said, well said. Uh, now, some of the resources uh, that you that went into this movie, um, especially with the people involved. Can you talk a little bit about that? Who was involved in the making of this movie besides some of the, the ones you mentioned now? Oh, I know. I know somebody well, that was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be very, of, yeah. of course, interested in the Bigfoot community. Of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> sorry. Uh, we I, have I, I'm so sorry. many. I'm afraid. Go ahead. Uh, we have so many people that were involved. Uh, and, and made an enormous contribution to this project that I'm just afraid I'll leave out somebody. But Mike Woolley had uh, befriended Dr. Jeff Meldrum. Um, and early on, 
uh, when I brought Mike on and we started collaborating on the story ideas, and he he mentioned uh, Dr. Jeff, and he and he said he's one of the world's foremost and highly respected uh, research scientists, and he said, would you like for me to approach him about the possibility of coming on to the movie? And I said, absolutely. So uh, he told Mike he was interested, and I talked to him, and we talked about a lot of things, and he did not want to be involved in any project that was a slasher, part, you know, sensationalistic, exploitative type of film which we knew ours was not going to be, and that was not our goal. So that was not a problem. And then um, he said he would help us. Um, he would come on as script consultant and uh, associate producer to help make sure that the script was plausible and that the way we presented Bigfoot was believable in his eyes and into the scientific community. We didn't want to go too out, too far out in left field with um, our foot um, science on this project. And he was, and he was every bit the professional, and he was absolutely a wonderful actor in the movie. I got some flack from the original people who were on board the project who did not end up staying on the project because they they talked about, well, Jeff's not a professional actor. I said, yeah, but, you know, he has been on Discovery Channel. He knows how to act in front of the camera. I mean, you know, yeah. he doesn't have to go through an audition. I mean, he, he's a celebrity in his own right. Um, and so those kind of disagreements caused some problems, and that's why we ended up with the uh, director that we ended up with, because he absolutely believed in our approach, the organic approach. And Jeff was wonderful. He was a great actor. He was extremely professional. He's been cooperative, you know, even with our ADRs and our pickup shots and that kind of thing. So I am thrilled that he was involved in the project. I think he lended lots of credibility to the project. And then we also had uh, Paul Logan, who has been in many, he's star of many sci-fi movies and um, does a lot of, he did a lot of the fight scene choreography. I think he lended um, his professional uh, charisma and pizzazz to the project, too. Uh, we have Ashton Lay, who is um, a Louisiana actress and um, filmmaker in her own right. And uh, she's been in a lot of sci-fi movies also. She was in Swamp Shark and several others. So she's she's a high-caliber professional, too. Diana Renee, Tom Malloy, uh, who's from New York, who you know, was um, was really great to have on board. Uh, Rich Rossi, who's he's the head of the New York Film Festival, and he just was attracted to the project and really just kind of basically did it because he thought it would be fun. And he played a small role as a newscaster in the film, but he was wonderful too. And all these elements just add to the credibility of the film. But we also thought it was very important to have as extras and small parts local people with authentic local actors with authentic southern accents and lended uh, realism to the project because this was kind of a small town gothic uh, Bigfoot film much like Legend of Boggy Creek and um, we actually had like the real mayor of Oil City 
I mean, who owns Pickers Pawn Shop in Oil City. We did, a, we filmed a scene there. I mean, it, it just makes it, it, to me, it makes it real. Like, yeah. I think, personally, I've watched Legend of Boggy Creek a hundred times, and I think the authenticity of it, the fact that these people, you know, for the most part, most of uh, the people play their own roles in the movie, and I think that was part of the appeal. They were real. I mean, these people were real. They were real stories, and we wanted to add that flavor, but combine it with the professionalism of some high-caliber acting and high-credibility people like Dr. Jess Meldrum to sort of uh, uh, render a balance there. And and I think we I think we get it. You know, hope our audience yeah. <laughs> has that same uh, that yeah. same feeling. So, Debbie, tell, I mean, there's there's been a like a plethora of Bigfoot movies that have come out in the last five years, say. I mean, there's some some really some decent ones, some some pretty good ones, and then uh, the vast majority of them, as you mentioned earlier, have been like slasher horror movies. That seems to be the easiest thing to do is to make Bigfoot into a uh, a monster. What right. what uh, what is going to be different about Skookum, um from that will separate it from these other kind of movies that have come out? Well, I think you know, and I think this really actually sort of evolved in post production. But I think Skookum has become the actual protagonist of the movie in different ways. You know, a lot of people will see the um, dark protagonist or uh, or antagonist as such initially, but I think um, when in the editing booth, and that's why we went back and did more pickup shots with actually not just one Bigfoot. <laughs> we have several. It's like people, Bigfoot, have their own unique personalities. Some are good, some are bad. Uh, we think. That's our theory. And, um, so we wanted to present as such a motivation for this uh, new protagonist, um, well, or that we discovered the story's protagonist was sort of buried all along. We discovered it in post-production where the real story is told. Um, and so we went back and did pickup shots to establish motivation for this protagonist that we discovered was there all We didn't put you know, Bigfoot in there to sensationalize or scare people or the plant. He actually, or they actually have a character arc. And it shows motivation. Why are they so angry? Why why do you see the evil in their eyes? Why are they so mad? Why are they, if they kill, why are they killing? Okay? Is there a plausibility there? Um, if somebody broke into your house, and you had a gun, what would you do? You know, a lot of times uh, we invade their territory, and they feel threatened. Okay, do they behave any differently than we would if our property were threatened? So there's all these questions here. And I don't want to give too much away because I don't want to give away the story. But um, we also do something in this film that is very, very different from it. I've never seen it done before in any movie no matter the budget, and we go we go into Bigfoot's point of view. And nobody will be able to understand what I'm saying until they watch the movie, but 
people are going to be able to see things happening in this movie certain points from behind Bigfoot's eyes. And they will know that they are behind Bigfoot's eyes. And so that's that's the surprise. That's the very different element that we come into it with. And um, I I wanted to do, no longer is Bigfoot something that is so frightening as far as the way they look that is going to no longer will you, I think will films be able to uh, hold out on showing Bigfoot until the very end. That day is gone. The day of Legend of Boggy Creek being the effective, having the effect um, that it did in that day back in the 1970s, that's gone because we've got the, you know, the beef jerky commercials with Bigfoot. We've got other commercials with Bigfoot. You know, everybody knows. So it's got to be, okay, we see a Bigfoot out there. And we see Bigfoot in the beginning. You know, we we have the opening title now, and we see Bigfoot in the opening title. But the big question is, what is Bigfoot going to do? What is going to happen here? What is his character? What is his capabilities? Does he have infrasound? What can he do with his infrasound? You know, our theory going that that's probably what happened to Mike, and this is coming from Dr. Jeff Meldrum. Um, infrasound can stun, you know, stun its prey. Um, we don't, we haven't developed that capability within ourselves, but it appears to be something that Bigfoot has developed as a defense mechanism because. Possibly, so many yes. people might report these same symptoms, the stunning, the nausea, the feeling of disorientation and confusion. This seems to be a product of something phys- physically manifested like like maybe infrasound, you know. So that's part of our film is to be able to present that and show it and show what happens as a result of it. So so, Debbie, what was your your reference for for Bigfoot prior to starting this project? You mentioned a little bit, but what I mean, did you had you studied Bigfoot, watched TV shows? I mean, what what was your no. reference point starting out? My reference point was strictly gut level, intuitive. Um, I didn't even know quite what the word Sasquatch meant. When uh, when I was talking to Arlena, the head of the film commission, she reported, and she said, there's been several Sasquatch. I really kind of had to go look it up, to be honest with you. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, Sasquatch is Bigfoot. Um, my, experience, my experience was very limited. I just knew it grabbed me. And every time that I drove through Falk, Arkansas, I had this feeling. I mean, something gripped me. And it was maybe uh, because of Legend of Boggy Creek um, or just this intuitive feeling as I drove through uh, Falk of, oh, there's something here, there's something here. And then I realized that in and around the area where I live, Cattle Lake area, there had been numerous sightings. Cattle Lake is a huge natural lake and one of the biggest in the United States. And it is in Louisiana and in East Texas, okay? So there have been 
tons of sightings and I thought, okay, I live here on Cattle Lake, I mean, near Cattle Lake, and why not make a Bigfoot movie here? There's been so many sightings. And then the connection with Mike, which he lives, you know, in a little bit south of where this happened, but still not that far. <laughs> and still within, as the crow flies, 30 miles, 30 minutes of uh, Falk, Arkansas. So it's all right there together, and it's the perfect, you know, um, perfect playing ground for Bigfoots because there's a tremendous amount of forested area, lots of swamp, you know, Spanish moss, uh, prehistoric fish. It's like you're walking back in time, and so that's, you know, that was kind of the impetus to, it, it was more just gut, this feeling that this is what I wanted to do. And I knew it had to come from the gut because you can't spend six years with a, a big chunk of your time in your life on something unless you're passionate about it. So this was something that I initially grabbed me by the gut, but I became more passionate about it as I learned more and more and more about Sasquatch Bigfoot stories. And I watched and I researched, and a lot of the films just don't do it for me. I don't like sensationalist type films, as I said, but I loved Letters from the Big Man. I mean, that grabbed me in a big time way because, and I appreciate that filmmaker's sensibilities and artistic uh, approach to the movie um, and with still keeping that tension and a great story. And he also, which is what we try to do with Skookum, bring the atmosphere into it. It was filmed in, of course, a different area of the country, but um, I, I appreciated that artistic rendering of, of Bigfoot very much. So, Debbie, what, why Skookum, the name Skookum versus, I mean, Skunk Ape? Or, I mean, how did you uh, fall on that particular title of all the, the various Bigfoot um, names and, and titles that we seem to give them? Well, I had read a book that Mike had given me from a friend of his uh, called In the In the Valley of the Skookum. I think that was the name of it. Mm-hmm. And I was quite fascinated with that story. And I know that um, the Skookum is a very popular name in the Pacific North Northwest. And it, people don't identify with it in the South. But to me, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Skookum, Skookum it's all the same creature, basically. It's interchangeable, yeah. Interchangeable, and and they evolve. I mean, you know, the evolution. Uh, there's going to be differences in characteristics because of their adaptability to different environments, like the swamps in the south. We're going to find a lot of three-toed and very thin uh, creatures because it's hot in the south, and there's lots of water, and and it's different. I mean, in the in the Pacific Northwest, they have to have you know, probably more fat on their bodies and more muscle to keep warm and that kind of thing. So that that all makes sense. But to be honest with you, I just like the way it sounds. It just skookum is so ooh, it grabs you. And I think uh, Bigfoot um, overused. I think um, Sasquatch overused. It just didn't resonate. 
And actually, we had just the title Skookum in the beginning, and then Paul Logan said, well, you know, maybe we need a, a subtitle of The Hunt for Bigfoot, which it it really is, because in, in, in the search for uh, the girl who's missing, you know, who's a Bigfoot researcher in our movie, there is a hunt for Bigfoot, because, because it's, you know, felt that, that she's been, you know, kidnapped by Bigfoot, so basically... Um, that's how we got the name. But, I, you know, I just like the way it rolls off the tongue. I like the way it sounds. And it is one of the actually Native American names in our country for Bigfoot. I don't think, you know, I've gotten some flack because people have said, oh, but that, that is the Bigfoot in the Pacific Northwest, not the Bigfoot in the South. And I'm thinking, well, I don't want to use skunk egg. That does not work for me. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't resonate. And Sasquatch Bigfoot over you, Skookum resonated. It's like it echoed. So that's woo woo so, reason, but that's pretty much it. So Debbie, the I mean the, one of the movies that, that is near and dear to my heart is Sasquatch, the Le- legend of Bigfoot, and that was like from seventy in the seventies. I actually saw it in a movie theater mm-hmm. in Portland, Oregon back in the day when right. I was a young man. Are you familiar with mm-hmm. that one? Have you seen that? Um, I'm really not. I have not seen that movie. You can watch it on uh, on Netflix. <laughs> oh, okay. Netflix. I will definitely do that. <laughs> what? Uh, so you guys are close to to um, what part? Of, where are you at in the the production of the film? You're, it's all it's all been um, filmed and is the post production done? When can we expect to see Skookum coming to a theater near you? Well, actually, we have three distributors who've contacted us, who've contacted me through the web, for this uh, Skook in the Movie website. And um, they're interested in seeing the final cut of the movie, which should be within the next two weeks. And I'm going to send it to them and see if they're interested um, in acquiring worldwide rights. That's what they express. They're interested in distribution worldwide, which means theatrical uh, and, and everything, you know, uh, cable, um, television, foreign rights, all that. So um, I'm going to see what happens. I'm not really worried about it if they, if they decide um, not to take it on. We will self-distribute it through the website. You know, people can download it. I already have a pro account at Vimeo. People will be able to download it from Vimeo, a nominal fee for a rental, uh, or they can buy it for a little bit more. And then um, also the DVDs, they will be able to purchase. If they would rather have it in DVD form, they will be able to do that. And then we're going to, um, as soon as we get through with this movie, and we're kind of a three-man band right now, so it's just very intense right here at the end of the editing. But we're going to update our website to offer more, you know, more items in connection with the movie. But we'll have to wait till after we get through with the editing and send it to the distributors to be able to fix all that. There's just not enough time in the day for the three of us to to finish this movie and to do that too. So it's just going to be one thing at a time, and, you know, if people want updates, they can go to our, basically the updates will, will be uh, started on the um, the Skookum 
the movie oh. Facebook page, and um, we'll be able to keep everybody updated with what's going on with the distribution. But it won't be long. It, it will be within. We should know within a month if if everybody turns us down for a worldwide distribution, we will do our own worldwide distribution, and and we will have it available for everybody to. Um, purchase at their own, you know, whatever they want to do. If they want to rent it, you know, it'll be like, you know, not very much money, probably two ninety nine, something like that, if they want to rent it from Vimeo. If they want to uh, purchase it, they can purchase it by digital download or, like I say, the DVD. And we uh, also, I do want to say, we do have a, we have Skookum Rogue Bigfoot the script already written. So really depending on how this movie does, um, you know, basically how well it sells, um, if we can fund our own our own way to the sequel, we we have the script already finished. So we have that well, prepared I, to go out if we yeah. need success. I think that there's a there's a role in there for uh certain podcast uh hosts that uh, I think <laughs> That uh, Shane and or I would be perfect for. So <laughs> just just throwing that out. There. Oh, all right. <laughs> and it, of course, it features Sasquatch Coffee. But, uh, there's a gratuitous <laughs> plug. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you're killing me, Gunner. You're killing me. But <laughs> Debbie, I got to ask you a question well, here. Uh, uh-huh. You know. Uh, and I want to get back to to uh, what we were just discussing with this possible uh, sequel, but you mentioned something earlier, and I think this might be a theme in the movie, but you mentioned uh, who is the real monster? Is it Bigfoot or man? You know, and that's stuck in my head, this whole conversation. Uh, you got any more comments uh-huh. on that? <laughs> oh, I would be, uh, I would be, it'd be a spoiler alert here. But okay. <laughs> Okay, we can leave that. That, I, that it, 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 it audience, resonated with me. That is for the audience to decide. Okay, what is what what is the um, most dangerous creature known to man? Yeah, well, in in Mike's encounter, it apparently was Mike because he shot at the Bigfoot. Bigfoot didn't ever shot at him. We just gave him a you know a dirty look. Right. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and scared the Jesus out of him. I'm just kidding, Mike. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. But think about it. If we were threatened, if our house were broken into, we'd probably have evil eyes, too. I'm not taking that for exactly. Bigfoot here. Yeah. I'm just, just saying. Just Who, saying. Whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? <laughs> <laughs> whose side am I on? Uh, I don't, they, I'm always for the underdog. Yeah. <laughs> always for the underdog. Well, in the wo- in the woods, that's us. I, I hate to say in the woods. Yeah. Especially if we don't have a gun. I think we're pretty much yeah. undermanned yeah. and, and uh, yeah, undersized and undermanned in, in uh, the woods. Right, exactly. Yeah. We are the underdog, just to... like Mike said. Yeah, just right. Like Mike yeah, said. That's yeah. why I the woods. That's why he doesn't, you know, the woods was his paradise. And right. it is no longer. And that's, and that's a fascinating um, aspect of, of uh, hunters uh, that have had an encounter, and it's—I mean, there's—you think about this—the stark realization 
uh, of like I've been in the woods all these years, and all of a sudden, and I that thing was here with me, and and it could have killed mm-hmm. me at any time. I mean, it's we it that's a interesting, you know, psychological aspect of of those kind of encounters. Right. Um, people that have hunted bears and and you know, good a good friend of Shane and, and mine, Larry, one of his encounters uh, went quite a few years ago. You know. It, he was basically trailed out of the woods, uh, not quite as intense as Mike's encounter, but still he was carrying a, a, a rifle and had the thought, which I've heard repeatedly from people carrying a weapon and, and having a Bigfoot encounter, is it wasn't, didn't feel big enough. So right, that's, right. Yeah, <laughs> so the, the fact is, you know, they, they it, one of the fascinating aspects to me about the whole Bigfoot phenomenon is is their physicality you know what what they must be uh something you know six seven eight ten feet up to ten feet tall i've heard bigger ones mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but i mean what and and they run around the woods chasing you know they have to hunt uh, faster animals much faster than we get chased down and what, right. what they just are and mike's description of of seeing it uh one hop, as he described it, from you know mm-hmm. fifteen to twenty feet is pretty, uh, pretty descriptive and quite a, a image in my mind. And like, mm-hmm. and I, I've heard that mm-hmm. that a couple times recently, where the like somebody saw one jump and the the distance that they covered is like uh, mind-boggling. Right. So it is. Do we get this? Yeah. So is Mike's encounter in is in the movie? It is. I mean, it's a okay. little bit different in the movie just because mm-hmm. of the technicality is that they're making. But um, yeah, his encounter is in the movie in the very beginning, and in uh, the middle scene where he is talking uh, to uh, Megan Rock before she disappears. She interviews him. She's actually a Bigfoot researcher, and she is, um, you know, she is being trained and studying under Dr. Jeff Cameron and Connor Cameron, his son. And um, she's interviewing uh, Mike Woolley, and he has a flashback. And so Mm. that's when you see the, the full extent of his encounter, and there's a little bit of it in the beginning. And he he also talks about it, and his voiceover is in the that flashback in the middle of the film. Mike, are you still with us? Oh yeah, I'm 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 okay. <laughs> I'm here. Uh, okay. Yeah. So tell it tell tell me a little bit about your your experience and be involved in the the having your you know your encounter um, turned into a movie and, you know, the movie is based on a true story. Uh, back in 1999, uh, y'all remember all the shows started coming out, Mysterious Encounters and Monster Quest, and you remember all yep. the people that were coming forward. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's when... And I said, look, I told everybody, I said, look, you know, and I thought, I'm not crazy. You know, there's other people that went through what I went through, you know. 
Well, I started researching, doing a lot of researching on the, the, the web and looking and listening and talking to a lot of people. I talked to a lot of people, uh, you know, from everywhere. And uh, that's when I started, I felt comfortable about, you know, talking about my encounter a little bit. So, uh, and then, you know, Debbie uh, approached me about, you know, making a movie. And uh, uh, it's a lot of hard work. Uh, people don't realize what goes into making a movie. I mean, it's 16 hours a day uh, for however long, 30 days. Uh, a lot of people. It takes a lot of people. Uh, you know, you, it's a lot of work studying your lines. Um, uh, it, it's just uh, like she said, you know, it's kind of like trying to push one of them big jets. Uh, but, you know, it was, inter- it was interesting. Uh, I made a lot of new friends, really good friends. And uh, I actually got to see, uh, you know, how a movie was made. And uh, I like it, you know. Uh, like I said, it's a lot of long hours, but, you know, uh, self-gratifying. And uh, it it, uh, it really uh, 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 opened my eyes. So how, how was it um, working with... Jeff Meldrum, I've heard that he can be very difficult. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, Jeff. Did he want for yeah, certain color M&Ms yeah. and all that? Yeah. yeah. I've been friends with Jeff. Uh, we're good friends for uh, seven years, you know. Uh, I've got his cell phone. Anytime I want to talk to him, uh, he calls me. Uh, and uh, uh, he's a very serious uh, guy. Uh, he'll correct you, you know, uh, on something, uh, you know, uh, if you're off. But uh, he's serious. Uh, he's dedicated. Uh, if he says he'll do something, he'll do it. But, you know, uh, I never had no problems with Jeff. I mean, we, uh, we get along fine. Yeah, he sounds like a great right. guy. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I know... I've met Jeff multiple times, but a great guy to work with. And just uh, what a knowledge base to have on set. Uh, did he um, did he personally influence, you know, Jeff Meldrum? You know, he's, you know, a professor out of Idaho and, you know, big in the Bigfoot world for those that you don't know him. But did he have uh, any influence over the movie or any direction or ideas that you guys maybe uh, in, took upon uh, that was enveloped into the film? Well, did he act as an advisor? Yeah. Um, you know, looking uh, at the script, um, we needed somebody like him, uh, uh, a person. And I thought about him, and I, t- I told Debbie, I said, I think Jeff would, would be good you know, to do this part. And she agreed, and she said, if you can get him, uh, get him. And so I talked to him, and, and he, you know, he said he'd do it. And, uh, uh, yeah, he he did a, he did a great job acting. I was I was uh, really impressed. Uh, I mean, every, everything was you know just uh, uh, dead on. Right on, Mike. What do you what do you want people to take away from this movie? Um, you know, uh, what do you want them to take away from it, and what do you expect people to take away from it? Well, uh, we tried to keep it as authentic 
uh, as we could. Uh, and you got to understand, it's a movie, you know. Uh, right, right. It's this. We. I just hope that uh, they find it uh, entertaining and they enjoy it. Uh, you know, uh, that's that's about you know about it. You know, I just hope that they enjoy, you know, the work we put in it, and uh, you know, it it does well. I see it. I personally see the movie doing really well. Uh, the endeavors and, and the amount of fortitude you guys have, Debbie, uh, you're an amazing person uh, to, to continue on with this and all the road, you know, blocks and and everything you've come across to uh, continue on with this. It shows you uh, you're very good at what you do and you're very determined. And seeing and hearing, listening to you now, uh, you, I mean, well, I can't wait to watch this movie. I know personally I'm going to enjoy it. And I already, you know, and I haven't seen it yet, uh, but it just it's just the amount of work and fortitude and and it, the hurdles you guys have come you know come across and here we are it's finally going to come out and uh, looking forward to it. I really really am well thank you so That's much right. we we so appreciate your support and enthusiasm we really do that that makes our day i mean that means everything to us is is our audience response and excitement and i i to be clear, because I went back, I was looking at the, the cast and, and stuff on um, the international IMDb, and, and Jeff doesn't mm-hmm. actually play himself in the movie. He plays a, a, another character, probably based on the Jeff Meldrum uh, persona in, in real life. But. Well, and that was designed really as a, I mean, that was just, being smart about the professionalities and boundaries between his own life and mm-hmm. his uh, particular position and this fictional fictionalized world of film. I mean, that right. was was a comfort level boundary that I think we all felt better about. Um, it was technicality, but yes, he does play a professor and. Um, he brings with it everything that he would have brought with it if he played, you know, his same last name. But um, it's, it's a little different because he has a son in the film, which, you know, is not his son in real life, obviously, but that was part of <laughs> our story development. You know, because, again, this is a feature film. It's, it's based, you know, it was based on, inspired by Mike's experience, but it had to be expanded out because an experience with Bigfoot does not make a feature film. So we had to be true to uh, the art of film and true to uh, be able to entertain and and also to establish that balance of authenticity and atmosphere of time and place and characters um, and, 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 and try to create a myth of our own. Um, myth not meaning you know, falsities, but myth meaning what resonates with people and what people need. Because personally, you know, as as a person that has background in counseling, I believe, and and person with a belief mm-hmm. in story, I believe that we need that. It's, it's food for our soul. We need mm-hmm. stories. We need myths because mm-hmm. they help us realize what we can um, we we can attain in life. And 
and how we can overcome and how we can transform as human beings within our souls. And we watch good movies that provide that for us, like Star Wars or, you know, then then people are going to be able to walk out of the theater and go, hey, you know, I can I can do that inside myself too. If they conquered their fears, their greatest fears, I can conquer mine. So this this is one of the inspired by true events kind of kind of stories. Obviously, uh, the entire encounter Mike's entire encounter did not um, last uh, a feature film length amount of time, though it probably felt like that. Uh, but yeah, it, it it sounds like uh, something that I'll enjoy. I'm not a big fan of the the slasher. You know, I've, uh, Bigfoot is is out there uh, is a serial killer kind of deal. Um, right. But uh, so this this sounds much more something. And I like the fact that it's based on on a, an incident that really really uh, happened. So appreciative of that. Right. So, And I will do a little bit of a hint here. There is one point in the movie where every time I watch it, I just cry because it is where humanity connects with animal or creature, and that's and it's it's the it is the you know pivotal point humanity connects with creature, and to me, it's just astounding. So then the audience can decide at that point. I like it. Uh, Mike, Bruce wants to know if you have any future acting plans. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Uh, You know, old saying goes, you know, uh, money talks and, you know, BS walks. But uh, <laughs> uh, I would, uh, you know, uh, right deal. You know, I, I might entertain it. Well, there you go. Well, I'd like to to uh, thank uh, Mike Woolley and Debbie King McMartin for joining us today on Monster X, and uh, look forward to to watching Skookum the Hunt for Bigfoot. Yeah, sometime here in the very new f- near future, and we will post the link on our Facebook page, um, pages plural, and uh, uh, so folks can can uh, check it out. And yeah. again, I like to thank you guys for joining us today. Take your time on your day for us, and and for uh, Monster X and for myself, Gunnar Monson and Shane. Corson, uh, we will be back again next Sunday with another episode of Monster X Radio. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, guys, for having us on. It was wonderful. You bet. You bet. Thank you so much. Have a great evening. You too. Bye-bye.